on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. We think this as young guys, you know, I'm, I'm sure it, you can relate. So how do we defeat that or how do we overcome that? What do we do in our side ourselves when we're making that decision to not be that egotistical is really what it is. So what it is, is you've got to understand that you can make money in any kind of economy. Yeah. And because we're already starting to see a recession now, you just have to learn to shift your business at the right time. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. I'm your host. Today, I've got Sean Rudner here on the King stage. My brother, how are you? Uh, thank you. Welcome. I appreciate the invite. Of course. You know, we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be, what'd you say off air? We wouldn't be uh, putting out a ridiculous amount of content <laughs> if we didn't have amazing people like you yeah. on the stage every day, sometimes yeah. multiple times a day. <laughs> yeah. um, you. you know, my calendar is full as you, as you mentioned, but I'm just so thankful that you're here, man. Tell us what kind of business that you have. Let's, uh, let's get into it. So, you know, our business is broken up into three different factors, but it's all, it's all based on packaging of products. We supply substrate, 45% of our business is substrates to different printers and laminators that will eventually turn it into plastic bags, pouches. Wow. And then another 45% of our business is basically custom packaging products. And then another 10% is our e-commerce that basically yeah. helps compete for and helps the mom and pops out there on yeah. some stock stock packaging. Yeah, I love that. In fact, we should probably chat off air. I've got a I've got a local uh, he's a farmer really is what he is, but they have a, you know, a, a pumpkin patch for lack of better terms. Mm-hmm. He makes these apple cider donuts and pumpkin spice donuts that are incredible. And I'm like, "Jim, are you selling these online? He's like, no, no, we just sell a ton of them right here from the pumpkin patch. I'm like, okay, I got it. We got to figure out a packaging and we're yeah. selling these to somebody somewhere. Cause <laughs> I'll go there. Look, I cannot wait for the fall to sign up my kids for the pumpkin patch in a membership so that I can go get some donuts. <laughs> uh, yeah, we might do some trading out. I might do some packaging for some donuts. That sounds actually really good. So yeah, pretty, pretty incredible. Okay. So Sean, we talked a little bit off air. Uh, we were kind of getting to know each other and we talked about, you know, people have these whys why they're doing things. We talked about kids. Tell the listeners at this level, you've been successful. You've been successful for a good minute. I guess my my reason why I'm saying that is because you choose to do this every day. Why? Why are you still doing it? Why are you building? Why are you pushing? So yeah, for us, my goal has been since my kids were young is how do I, how do I fund my next four generations? It's, it's, it's pretty interesting. And what, what does that actually look like? So that's always a difficult thing is what does funding mean for four generations and what do they get out of that whole situation? But that's my why. Yeah. So you told me that a few minutes ago when we were chatting and of course my initial reaction, just like with most people is like, wow, that's a great idea. And we live in this idea stage for a long time of like, I'm sure the listener heard you say fund the next four generations. And they thought, holy moly, wow, that is big. 
and then whoop, then there it goes out of our mind and we never think about it again. But you talked about sitting down with financial advisors, figuring out what that actual number looks like. What does funding mean? What are we participating in? What is that number added up for generations? Like you, you are putting this in a plan. Oh yeah, there's lawyers, financial advisors, accountants. You know, it, 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 we are getting advice from all the people that that are professionals in that aspect, and they're giving us good direction on what we have to do to get to that point. Now I just got. How come did up you with come up money. with four? Why are you so passionate about this? Where did this uh, come from? So, yeah. so it, it, the the thing is, is you you've looked at some of these successful families that are out there. And, you know, the way I look at it is, is that fourth generation, I'll probably be long gone by the time that fourth generation happens. So what the goal would be is that, you know, hopefully my kids take on that next step and saying, okay, we want to do the next four generations so that it just keeps growing from that standpoint so that there becomes a long lineage of, of our family that it has done some pretty amazing things. And that doesn't mean that we're all hoarding this money that, you know, obviously there's going to be a portion that's going to be going out for philanthropy. But yeah. the, the the thing is, is I look at it as, as my kids, my grandkids, my great grandkids, if they wake up and they're not worried about money, that means that they can actually go out and make a difference in the world where money, they don't, that, that factor doesn't become part of their decision-making process. It right. just says, okay, the world's my oyster. What do I want to go do with it? If I want to go cure cancer, I can go do that and not have to worry about me getting paid as a researcher. So little money. Yeah. The, I want to, I want to, excuse me. I want to press into this conversation here just a little bit because it's such a unique conversation. I think everybody relates to it, or at least thought about it a little bit. If they're a high performing father, at least I know for sure, just because I've, I've had conversations like this with so many, but not, not too many people have thought about it in detail like this. So that's why I want to kind of press in a little bit. The, the moments that you've thought about removing the stress, if you will, of going and earning, and then that stealing or taking away creativity or next level potential, how do you balance this, this idea of, you know, removing that hardship, if you will, or that struggle or that earningness and still instill into them that even though they don't have to fight for maybe the daily food to still go out and try to achieve the, their absolute potential. Like how have you balanced that with your own kids? So, yeah, we put in some things where, you know, like at an early age, we started them off that school is their job. Everything is always a job. School is their job, their spare time. They have to play a sport. You know, it's the old idle hands. So you're starting to create a work ethic at a very early age. I mean, it's funny because both my kids would have their homework done before I even got home from work. They, they, the first thing that they would do when they got home from school, finish their homework, then go on to whatever sports practice that they had. And then by, you know, dinner time, they had everything done and, and now they can go screw around. And they knew that the easiest way to keep dad off their back is get it, get these things done. And so I think that that's just going to carry on over through, you start that at a very early age. It's just going to carry on over to future generations they're going to say that worked for me i might as well do it for my kids yeah yeah i mean i just i love the intentionality you know whether it's the order of doing homework first or whatnot that's how i was raised as well so i would agree with that but it's not so much necessarily those things what you're saying is develop work ethic put them in situations to be able to make decisions that's what we were talking about a minute ago it's not so much giving them advice it's more of a how do i build this person up and so at some point even at a young person and then eventually a young adult 
they can make their own choices and they're good choices too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when we're talking about making decisions, I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to arrive them to make. I don't give them advice. I try to ask questions that'll force them to think and arrive at a decision that's probably what's best for them at that point in time. I, you know, like we talked about at times, yeah, I'll give direct advice. It's but most of the time, I try to ask the questions that'll get them to think and make a decision. Yeah. So. Well, I obviously I've I've centered this entire podcast really around, you know, good decision, bad decision making, because that's what we do as entrepreneurs. Like if I'm trying to get my children to make good decisions, I'm trying to help them be productive, trying to help them leap over certain things and maybe not have to make certain bad decisions because they've learned from somebody like you or from somebody like me. And that's what the entrepreneur journey is all about. So let's parlay right into your good decision. You can think back. I'm going to take you back to like maybe an early stage in the business, maybe sub, you know, three years, maybe first million or two. And I want to know something that you just did that was just, ah, oh, such a clear, good decision that we can learn from. You, you know, I think that with my background, I've always tried to make sure that I'm involved in the sales process, no matter whether it's my customer or one of our salespeople's customers and, and actually listening to the customer and start to understand what their needs are and then try to figure out, you know, it's basically coming up with a process of saying, how do I create value for this person? Yeah. And it's amazing that if you just ask the right questions, customers will tell you everything you need to know on how to run your business. They're usually not very shy about that when you ask the right questions. That's right. And so then you just take that into effect. You know, maybe I'm going off into a little tangent of what, what you're asking that question, but it was sure. just learning that process of asking the right questions and trying to figure out how to create value and differentiate yourself from your competition. Yeah. You you've given us several things here. I want to try to, I want to try to go into a couple holes. Number one, you're talking about getting feedback. Obviously your, your team and clients, I'd probably, you'd probably agree with both on that. They're willing to give opinions, but how did you go about collecting the opinions? Give us some practicals there. I'm not really understanding what your question is. I mean, what are you talking about? Just, I mean, it's usually just face to face and ask. Yep. I mean, it's, face to face it's, surveys. It, I mean, it, I, well, no, no, I don't, I don't do. We don't. We don't do surveys. To me, the thing is, is that you can't read body language off of a right. survey. You sure. can't. You can't get emotional inflection off of a survey. Now, the type of sales that we do is we're always B two B, so it's right. a little bit of a different game. I, you know, I, I, I gotta imagine a B two C a survey would be incredibly effective right. but in a b2b scenario especially with something that's a consumable like what we sell you're yeah. always seeing the same customer i'm not i'm not unemployed from contract to contract we're actually just right. always seeing business so for yeah. us it's we get in front of the customers how do we have the conversations and what are their needs i mean that's really and, and that's what most of my calls are about almost every day now it's just yeah. sitting on video or face-to-face -face calls yeah, the, the relationship is what you're talking about in a reoccurring business. And so for a listener who's got a, you know, an agency or, you know, a packaging or something where they've got a client and they're working with this client for potential years, the, the mistake that probably some people have made is that you just sign them up, you start doing the work, and then you forget about them, right? And then eventually their needs change or something gets mixed up. There's no relationship there. So they kind of just quickly shift and move to somebody else who's maybe a little cheaper or maybe faster or whatever. They're willing to jump for those things because there's no relationship. So I hear you saying relationship, 
but inside of that, it's not just trust and, and like stickiness of like keeping them to you, but also it's like legitimately as they grow as a business, you're in tune with what they need and you're able to adjust. Would you add anything to that? Yeah. So it's funny with our business, we actually look at new channels in a couple of different areas every six months. So we're trying to launch a new channel of products that we don't supply already. And so what we're always doing is asking our customers, what are the demands? I mean, we were just on a call with, with a major customer this morning and they were like, Sean, we would love for you to start stocking this product here. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Sign me up. Let's do it. Let's, and, and it's just common sense that you actually listen, but you would be amazed at how many companies would say, oh, well, you know, that's going to turn into too much work or, or listen, I'm, I'm looking at the lifetime value of that customer in our industry. That's really what we're always constant. And plus it's a good relationship. So that's what you want in the end is that you have that free flow. I mean, I think sales, salespeople have a tendency to go off on a tangent. They try to be too salesy. You're in a business transaction. Don't be a salesperson, be a business person and work out our business transactions so yeah yeah we in inside of our little umbrella of companies we have a company called transcend transaction and this whole idea of it doesn't have to be just in and out and what you're talking about most most salespeople are about the deal they're about the commission it's a one one and done scenario but there's so many businesses even if the sales process is set up to where it's a one and done commission opportunity for the salesperson then the business is facilitating the relationship or what we call the customer journey and, and this experience that if you can just differentiate yourself, like you said three minutes ago, if you can figure out a way inside of that experience to differentiate, differentiate yourself from your competitors, there is no need for your people to look anywhere else. It, it, exactly. I mean, and that, you know, what you want to do is just make it a real relationship yeah. with the customer and the customer. I mean, we have a huge retention rate on on our films and our custom products. Now the e-commerce portion, that's a come and go, you know, based on on the type of clientele it is, but but 90% of our business, we have like over a 95% retention rate on our customer base. Yeah, I wanna throw a challenge question out to you because obviously we've got plenty of those people listening here today that are contract to contract, like you said earlier. Yep. And so taking your business model, obviously very different from contract to contract, but how do you take the principles that you're talking about that have led to success in a reoccurring model? How do you infuse those things into a contract to contract business? What, what would your thoughts be on that? Well, I, I think a lot of it comes down to what the dollar amount is of your sale. I think that's okay. a big important thing. I mean, if you're selling, you know, cell phones for a living at two or $300, you really can't spend a whole lot of time right. dealing with that. But if you're talking about, so it was funny, it, it, in 2004, I had sold a business and I had a four-year non-compete in the packaging industry. Wow. And so I got into real estate brokerage, you know, I mean, like okay. a lot of people did. And sure. what I did was in that particular case was, is I was like, okay, I, I moved to Colorado Springs at that point in time from Arizona, had no idea. I knew two people in the whole state, really. Yeah, I was just wow. like, Colorado's cool. And I'm like, hot. <laughs> How, how do I how, how do I go out and start selling houses for a living? Yeah. And I went from zero people to being KW's rookie of the year. And I was doing 10 to 15 houses a month. 
And what I did was, is I kind of niched myself out for investor clients. Sure. Yep. And, and really just started networking in that situation. So I could find a way to get repeat business Yeah. and, and make contract a contract. It's the same mentality. You're working with someone and developing that value structure for yep. that particular person. Yeah. And you'll get referrals like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, you're you're 100% right. The referral piece is based however long the transaction. You're looking for the referral. I'll say one other thing too that you you just said it. I want to say it in a, in a slightly different way because it happened just a couple of days ago. We had our our November roundtable with our mastermind group. And there's a pretty large HVAC contractor. He he sells units. He's a nationwide type of a, a business and he, he said that he was talking to a, an excavator, an excavator who's taken on a couple million dollar projects, singular projects, mm-hmm. and, and has grown rapidly. And his response to that was cool, like, great. Keep like th- those were based on a relationship, based on a relationship with some GCs and all kinds of really good stuff that we've been talking about here. But his encouragement was you got to figure out a way to get reoccurring business because sometimes things fluctuate in a recession or in a housing market up or down and, and things just get bottled up. And if you're going project to project or contract to contract in your point here, if you can figure out a service or if you can figure out a reoccurring thing that you're adding value to the same customer just over a period of time, it creates not only stickiness, but it creates a recession proof, you know, kind of another or lane for your resilient. business. Yeah. Recession yeah, yeah. resilient. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if anybody was in real estate in 2008, 2009, they, right. they know, I mean, it was, it was a painful time. So yeah, just stop. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and the funny thing is, is lucky for us, we started up a property management company in 2007. So it it, it just, it, it allowed us to actually you know, build up a clientele and, and have some stickiness and some consistent revenue. And actually we sold that business to start this business when my non-compete ended. So yeah. it was kind of one of those, thank God it came along and we did it, you know? That's incredible. All right, let's flip to the other side, Sean. I want to know a bad decision, something maybe a little bit embarrassing. What what can you share with us? I, I can tell you this, that um, I, I, bad decision. I, I didn't listen to people in real estate that had been around that business for a long time. They all warned me what, what it was all about. I was very inventory heavy at that point in time for my own properties yeah. and was in an over-leveraged position. So I would say the bad decision was, is not listening to people that said, I've been through this two or three times yeah. and, and thinking that you're smarter than everybody else is, you know, <laughs> and it, that, that, that was probably the biggest eye opener of my lifetime. So yeah, I would yeah. say that was probably the worst decision I've had. Okay. So I think we can all kind of piece together what you're talking about real estate. You mentioned the time frame. Okay, fine. Got it. How does the listener today, because we all do this, we all hear the guy like you right now saying, I made the mistake. Don't do it. I've been here two or three times before, just like you heard back then. And what we think in our brain is, oh, he's just being negative or, oh, he's being conservative or, oh, he's old or whatever our thoughts are, you know? Yeah. You know, like uh, we think this as young guys, you know, I'm, I'm sure you can relate. So how do we defeat that? Or how do we overcome that? What do we do in our side ourselves when we're making that decision to not be that egotistical is really what it is. <laughs> so, so what it is, is you've got to understand that you can make money in any kind of economy. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and so just because the economy is starting, because we're already starting to see a recession now, some people call it, we're in a recession. Some people say that, you know, it depends on which yeah. side of the tracks you live on. So, yep. but th- that being said, you can make money in any kind of economy that's out right. there. 
Right. You just have to learn to shift your business at the right time. Yeah. And right. this is where you've always preached on every podcast that I've listened to. Make sure you're finding good mentors, finding good, good, you know, mastermind groups. Yeah. Someone has been through this exact same scenario in the past. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. That is really just the listen to someone that's done it. Maybe you can tweak it a little bit for the current circumstances or right. for your current personality. But there are been plenty of smart people that have lived before me. And there's going to be plenty of smart people that live after I've lived. So don't you got to kind of go into this thing a little humbly and listen to what other people have to say. Doesn't mean you have to use that as gospel, but, but, right. but make it part of your decision-making process. Yeah. I mean, first off, I not only agree with you, but you, you were just saying something that made me think in a, in a, probably a lane that I've never thought in before, but this legacy stuff that we we're talking about at the beginning, you know, the serving four generations and how, how big that is Yeah. to think, that there's going to be systems and processes in place for literal my relatives that I don't even ever meet, right? That is, that is, that is beyond most, right? And so I think that the same thing that you just said is like, if we can remove ourselves far enough away yep. to know that we're not only that we're mortal, but that we're finite, like our, it's going to come to an end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's going to be there, like, it's it not going to live forever, at least not, not in this frame, you know? And so the way that we, the way that we can take ourselves to that place of mindset is like, okay, well, if it, if it is going to end, if, if there has been people hundreds and hundreds of years before me who have been smart, innovative, solving problems, and there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of more over the years, then who am I? Right. It makes you really, really small. If you go big, it makes you really small and you go, okay, maybe, maybe I, I do have something to learn here. And it just, I think it puts you in a perspective of, okay, so like, I'm really only this tiny little piece in this really big plan. Did you, you add anything? You, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, I mean, it's funny because people sit down and you take things, you take a guy like John D. Rockefeller, who was the richest guy back at that point in time and would be considered, if you took it into today's dollars, right? probably the richest guy right now. I mean, Elon Musk or Bezos might be competing with that, but he's in that conversation at that point in time. And, yeah. and he's dealing with a completely different set of problems that, you know, we don't have here in the, at this time. And, I, you know, you never know how they would have done in this circumstance, but right. that was a prime example of, he might not be the perfect person to model yourself after from a personality standpoint, right. but for me, he had a great business and he funded I don't know, seven, 10 generations, seven generations, whatever it was. Yeah. I, I like that. So that was kind of the, the thought process that I had behind it. Love so. it. We, we've been talking about process. We've been talking about decision-making. A decision comes across your desk today. How, what yeah. steps do you follow to make a good decision? So we first start, every decision I start off with is I've, I, I, I've got a, a sign right above my computer that has all my core values of the company and right. definitions of those core values. So we start off with that filtering process. So if it hits the whole filter on that process, yeah. then I can move on to actually making a real, you know, get into the, to the financial part of it or the business modeling part of that whole situation. If right. it doesn't, then you can throw the, it's an easy right. decision, get out. It, it, it's funny how there's no shortage of opportunities that are thrown at you if you network properly. So yeah. it, you just got to start to learn to say no, if it just doesn't fit what you're looking for right off the bat. So yeah. Exactly. If, if it's close enough, you can negotiate it. But outside of that, 
I use a filtering process on that. And then the next step is just business modeling. Yeah, that's good stuff. We're going to flip over to the, uh, the speed round. My first question to you is about tracking. Same vein here, maybe a little different style though. If you could only pick one KPI, one thing to track forever and ever in the packaging world, what would it be? <laughs> so, you know, I, I would have said, I would have cheated and said P&L beforehand, but I think I'm getting to the point with our business that actually my balance sheet is probably more important than my P&L at this point in time. Yeah. So I would say right now it's a balance sheet. If that's, I know that's yeah. a big KPI, but that's. It is. I was going to say, what, what are you looking for on that? For you, when you're, when you take a glance, I mean, obviously there's certain tactics when you take a glance at a P&L, it looks a little different with a, a balance sheet. What are the two or three things that are hot buttons for you? So um, I'm looking at debt to equity ratios. I'm looking at our equity and what our equity build has been over the, you know, each month after month after month. We, right. we don't take a whole lot of money out of our business. And then I'm also looking at my image, my total inventory number because we're an inventory intense business. So we right. keep millions of dollars of inventory on the floor at all points in time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any small tweak on that in the wrong direction, like most people with their PL, if they can't manage a number on there, it can, it can go wrong pretty quickly. Yeah, Very good. Absolutely. What book would you recommend Sean for a business owner trying to scale, trying to build their business? So it was funny because I listening to your podcast before I, I put a lot of thought into this. If I was going from six figures to seven figures, I'd probably call it E-Myth Revisited. I thought that was a very good book. Yep. I think it gets you into some basics there. Yep. Then I think from going from seven figures to the eight figures that we're at right now, I, I would say good to great or built to last, it, both by the same author, obviously, yep. are phenomenal books for, for taking it to the next level yeah at that point time yeah and good to great it's one of those books where i think everybody knows how to quote a few two three things out of it but when you have the opportunities later i think when, once you have a team once you have some key roles in your team you start understanding really what the lever points are and that's that's a phenomenal recommendation for that level you're right you mentioned it earlier my question around intentionally masterminding or networking what are your thoughts what have you done in your history so Historically, I used to be part of Vistage, um, yeah, yeah. and that was when I was in California. When we moved here, we got out of that. Now it's actually, I spent a lot of time just networking with other business owners, more of creating friendships. It's as you find, it, it's amazing on how other business owners just, they need someone to talk to. You need, so I wouldn't say I dump a ton of money into that because it's, it's sure. traveling back and forth to meet and hang out with friends but yep. they're friends in the same business. So that's what it is. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's funny that you say that because I hosted our first, well, so we, we've got it. We've got a group for six figure business owners and that's much more teaching, coaching, as you can imagine, they're just trying to get the fundamentals, right? Yeah. And in our seven and eight figure group, I had this, our very first event, I had this whole agenda and structure and it was great. It, it worked out fine. But what I came to learn was that they just wanted to, hey, look, I just want to step away for a minute and be around some other high level people and just be, there doesn't have to be an agenda. Like we can just sit here, talk about business, talk about family, maybe even like just look out the window and see the beach, or we're going to have everybody over to the house here in a few weeks. We're going to play some bags and go to a chiefs game. Like sometimes it's just that it's not, it's not just fun having fun. It's like being around other high level people doing normal things. Well, and, and, and the thing that I think like what makes like, your business different. It, you own businesses. A lot of the other mastermind groups 
Sure. The guy that the person that's leading it might not have a history of owning businesses. And so I, I think that's also an important thing that someone's got to sit down and, and listen to is going, I've been there, I've done that, I know what I'm talking about in these areas, and, and we can have a, a good conversation. But yeah, that's really what it comes down to is it's amazing how that path just you don't know which rabbit hole you're gonna go down when you're yeah. just sitting around with a bunch of people and just talking. Yeah, you know, so yep. It's so good. It's so it, it's actually refreshing is what it is, because I think many entrepreneurs feel that way. They don't know that how they they can express it. And I'm not necessarily saying sign up for a mastermind. I'm talking about what you're talking. Just intentionally connect. Just get some lunch with somebody. You ain't got no money for a mastermind group. Fine. Yeah. Go have some lunch with another guy and, and ask him what's working, what's not working. He's going to ask you what's working, what's not working. And then that eventually grows. But it's about the relationship. Sometimes it's just about the camaraderie right? It's, that's what it's all about. It's amazing what deals pop up 10 years later that you're just all of a sudden, Hey, I was hanging out with this guy 10 years ago. And now all of a sudden we're doing a deal together and might've taken 10 years to get around to it, but it's an awesome deal. So yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Okay. I got one last question here for you, Sean. Yeah. I want to know if you had the chance to whisper in the younger Sean's ear, what would you say? This one's throwing me for a loop here. I told um, you I'd throw you through. Yeah, 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 yeah. This, this <laughs> one's probably, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, I try to live life without a whole lot of regret. Sure. You, you, you know, I would say probably I should have started on my self-improvement through reading and networking and all that stuff earlier in my life. When you're, when you're an entrepreneur at a younger age, it, it's amazing how you think you know everything. And then, then when you turn... 35, 40 years old, then you start to figure out what you don't know. Yeah. And then when you turn 60 again, then you kind of get crabby and then you think you know everything again. So <laughs> it, 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 it's kind of one of those deals. So, but yeah, that's that, that's the approach I would say is probably should have started on opening up my circle of people that could give me knowledge at an earlier age. Yeah. Yeah, it goes back to humility. We've talked about that quite a bit in this podcast, uh, ego versus humility. And I think it, I, I mean, gosh, you got to have a certain healthy confidence level, ego, call it whatever you want in order to build a business like you have. But it's also not sustainable if you don't have the other counterpart to that, the the ability to see where you need to grow and, and how other people can be better than you even in certain areas of the business and being able to lean on people. You can't do that if you have a big ego. Yeah, I, I love people that are better than me. I mean, now it just gives you something to strive for. I mean, you know, I, I, I grew up wrestling, so it was always there was always someone that was going to knock you down. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. so you're always trying to look for that type of mentality. Who's going to be better than me, so I can have someone in my crosshairs. Yeah, that's good. I love it. Okay, how can the listener find you? Obviously, there's I'm sure people across the country who who potentially could even use your service, but how can they find you as an entrepreneur as well? I, I would say that I'm not really big on other social media outlets, I'd say LinkedIn is probably my number one thing. So you can go on to Sean Rudner at LinkedIn, you know, find me on LinkedIn and I'm out of Omaha, Nebraska. I think there's another Sean Rudner in Georgia or something like that. I don't know. But <laughs> he's but, not the real one. Yeah, he's not the real one. It's uh, yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn. So that's how, how you find me. Perfect. Well, we'll put that in the show notes as well, just to make it super easy for them. Sean, thank you so much for being here. Just insight into an industry into a family. I mean, four generations. I'm walking away going, okay, I've thought about this. I've I've become obsessed with this idea. You've taken it to another level. I need, I got some work to do. So thank you for giving that to me. You gave it to my listeners. We appreciate you. Blessings on your family, your business. Thank you. 
Thanks for Same being to here. you. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries and now interviewing literally over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings literally exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together one thousand kings specifically who are grateful but not done we're intentionally assembling kings who fight tooth and nail for their business family and communities and here's what we believe that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy so if that relates and and resonates with you and you know that you need people around you sharp qualified other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon.